0: This is Tell Me What To Read, the podcast of booktopia.com.au. I'm Nick Wasiliev, and for today's book discussion podcast, I'm joined by Ben Hunter. Hello, Ben. Hi, Nick. Scott Whitmont. Hello, Scott. Hey there, Nick. Related Happy New Year. (laughs) Thank you very much, Scott. And uh, once again, all the way from the UK, the one and only Nick Coveney from Rakuten Kobo. Hey, Nick, how are you? Hi, Nick.
1: I'm very well, thank you. Thanks for having me back.
0: It is very, it's, we always love having you back. It's, the pleasure is all ours. Um, so let's dive in to the books that we have been reading and enjoying. And I'm going to throw first to Ben. Um, ben, what have you been enjoying over the last couple of weeks?
2: Nick, um, I'm really excited about debut Australian fiction novels. You know, they, it's a, it's a, it's a wonderful time of year when uh, new authors spring into being and we get to read some new voices and discover new things um uh, a, a book I've, I've read in recent days that i've just just devoured right? <laughs> it just just drank this book like a tonic um it just went straight down like a treat um it is called the torrent by danuka mckenzie uh it is a australian police procedural novel um perfect thing for readers who liked Jane Harper's novels or Sarah Bailey uh, and it is set in the northern rivers of New South Wales there's a flood there's a there's a death in the flood um and you know the the cause of which is uh, up to answer and um we're introduced to this incredible detective that I just adore her name is Kate Miles uh, she is uh, eight, nine months pregnant, just about to go on leave and explode. And uh, she's she's running this um, case. She's also running another case, which kind of dovetails into the the drowning very slowly and wonderfully. And you like you know the dots are going to connect, but you don't know how it's going to happen. Uh, so she's heavily pregnant. Uh, she's a female cop in a rural precinct that and she outranks like most of the blokes around her. And so that's a cause of tension in and of itself. Uh, she, she's also of a non-white ethnicity and then that brings on like a whole other layer of microaggressions from the people she deals with and you know, in, in times macroaggressions. Uh, so, so there's there's just so many layers of stuff going on with her and she's just such so just, just an awesome hero um, and it's just the most brilliantly put together mystery uh, like it is um it's professional level stuff I would expect it <laughs> and, you know if you like Michael Robotham you could read this it's <laughs> it's like that level but it's a debut uh, and it's um no surprise that this is a book that one uh unpublished manuscript prize it's called the banjo prize it's done by harper collins uh it's been published by the same publisher that put out uh devil mctiernan's book so you know that's like you know you're onto something good so if you're a crime lover if you're an australian crime lover uh the torrent danuka mckenzie that's um that's a that's an easy win for me it's you'll you'll read it in a heartbeat
3: well, Ben, when we get to my books, uh, it'll be like deja vu, because I also have an Australian debut crime rural setting novel to talk about. So we're both <laughs> chosen the same today with different books, but the same genre.
0: I'm, I'm loving all of, our, all of our head spaces in in uh, in terms of Australian crime. But I will say, Ben, on this book, I, we, we have had the... We've been lucky enough to have, uh, do an interview with Danuka, which will uh, will be coming out uh, in the next week or so um, on Tell Me What to Read. And I have not seen you this excited about a debut in a long time. Um, this is, um, what is it about it? What is it that that is really just, is it just scratching uh, an itch that you didn't know you needed to be scratched? I'm curious.
2: It's just really, really well done commercial fiction. Uh, and it's it's really well done crime it's, it's great to have a really well done crime it's just a pleasure it's stuff it's just like there's a reason why that stuff sells and sells and sells it is a it is a genuinely fulfilling reading experience uh it's solid entertainment and it switches your brain on um and it's it's uh, it's it's also just it's great to have it's great to have uh Someone who's not straight and white and a man publishing in that space, and and you know writing a detective who's not a straight white old man who who drinks and fights with people. <laughs> it's a uh, that's that's a refreshing read for me, and I, I think people are going to love it. Um, uh, but if you want to see me excited about Australian debut fiction, I mean, this is uh, this other book I have brought to kind of yarn about right now is is not a debut book. Personally, it's, this, this guy has published a poetry collection, but it's it's a debut novel. All right, it's called *Son of Sin*. The author is Omar Sakhar. Uh, he, he is uh, Lebanese Australian. Uh, um, he's he's. <laughs> when the publisher gave you this book, they just told me this guy's pretty much written ninety-five percent of his life but kind of made it fiction to make it work as a novel uh and it's 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 bloody wild it is uh it is the story of a guy growing up with a a fractured but brilliant big family in southwest sydney and he has to come to terms with himself as a, a queer man in a Arab community, which is deeply homophobic and deeply spiritual and deeply superstitious, um, and he—it just takes you straight, 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 like unapologetically into the heart of Southwest Sydney and a climate of just otherworldliness and aggression and uh, everything that. The glossy white Australia that you see on Channel Nine doesn't like want you to see, uh, and it's brilliantly done. It's most lyrically explained way of uh, portraying it as well. Uh, you know, if if you read um, uh, Michael Muhammad's novel, uh, um, *The Lebs*, I think this will speak to you, right? But um, it's a completely different tone and it's a different um perspective on that same climate that same world uh and yeah i just i was just blown away by this thing from the first pages it's just um <laughs> it's, uh it just does it all uh yeah what, what it, it, it it just it, it brought to mind so many elements of um a culture that i don't understand uh and it it made them it it kind of illuminated them to me in a way that only fiction can um and it also presented the unsafe world of um southwest sydney of, of of a of a of a deeply multicultural place um and a place uh that is economically on the edge and constantly made to feel unwelcome and deep in the heart of just all of the hard questions we have to ask about um, who we really are as a, as a society and uh, how how integrated and how 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 whole are we um, it's' but it's deeply personal and it's it, it just does it does so much in uh, a, a brief stint of pages it's uh, it's a miracle this thing I love it in
3: the extract I read, uh, you could tell that Omar's background is as a poet because he writes now in his fiction so mm. lyrically as a poet, you'd expect a poet to. But it also reminded me of another one from a generation ago from Western um, multicultural Melbourne, and that's uh, Christos Solkis's loaded about growing up in the Greek community. That didn't yeah, yeah. accept uh, his his being gay and, and how you know his life was coming out in that repressive, you know, community and different culture. So I know this one's Muslim Arab community, it's different culture, but it reminded me of that sort of that same premise.
2: Yeah. Yeah, no, that that's a that's a early Cholkis is is definitely a really good comp to this. Um, and and like Cholkis, he he has he has a he has a lyricism, he has a, a voice and a raw talent is just unique and special and yeah, you know when you get that in uh, a debut book that's, that's something that gets you really excited as a reader
0: it's also it's just great to hear that there's more stories coming out of this part of Sydney it's uh and coming out of this this dynamic of Sydney that so many people are not familiar with so it's uh hope with I hope that this this book does well because I know it's been on It's been on your radar uh, for quite a while, um, this book, and uh, it sounds incredibly fascinating. Um, thank you so much, Ben. I love that you're in, in debut land. And uh, we'll, if you stick around to the end as well, we'll be announcing a fun little mini series of, of uh, podcasts that we'll be doing upcoming in the next few weeks with, uh, with debut authors as well. So uh, hold that thought. Um, but now I'm going to move on to our, to our guest, um, to Nick. Uh, I know that you've brought a couple of books along uh, today. What, uh, what have you been enjoying uh, over the last few months?
1: Um, Well, you'll notice that I'm sticking to my theme. So listeners who've been subjected to me um, talking about books uh, previously will be aware of that, that I I love uh, reading as queer as possible and that I I always try and sort of skew myself towards um, LGBTQ plus books when I'm reading for fun. Um, And I've got some brilliant um, books I can recommend that I've read recently. Um, So the, the first I wanted to talk about is A Dress Book by Neil Bartlett which is an incredibly uh, beautiful and very sort of lyrical um, collection of short stories that looks at sort of intersecting lives of gay men throughout different decades. Um, Neil Bartlett, for those who aren't familiar, is um, an award shortlisted author here in the UK, he's also a playwright, and he's been writing some incredibly important um, gay fiction since, before I was born, um, and is really, really um, compelling and sort of visceral in the way he um, sort of looks at things. And I, I don't know if it's been as popular in um, Australia as it was here, but there was a, a brilliant TV series that Russell T Davis, um produced called It's a Sin uh, that looked at life in London during the emergence of the uh, AIDS crisis uh, at a time where there was... know, widespread uh, government suppression and persecution of, uh, you know, people who we might now define as queer, although at the time um, that wasn't really the the term they would use for themselves. Um, So it's a really, really fascinating book and it it spans, I think, over 100 years uh, in the same place. And there's this recurrent theme of people resorting to their address books for, for different reasons. So, uh closeted individual who has a, you know a black book of um men that he's met that kind of thing uh, it's just really really um beautifully done so i'd recommend that to everyone uh and the, the ebook is very very affordable um so the, there is a paperback edition uh, available as well but it's a great opportunity for people who aren't e-reading yet uh to give that a go uh i think i might have talked about this author before because uh he's another favorite of mine but Lev C. Rosen uh, has been writing some incredibly important and very, very um, compelling LGBTQ um, YA fiction for several years now. Um, He's the author of Jacket Parts and Other Parts. And one of his uh, latest titles, Camp, is um, an incredible sort of analysis of a sexually inclusive um, summer camp. Um, for teens who are queer, and it sort of follows the story of um, some of the the characters and friends who attend this camp over several years and the sort of how they grow up together, how they develop feelings for each other and how that all gets explored really excitingly. this has been optioned um, by hBO and Billy Porter is going to direct it so I feel like I'm giving Booktopia listeners, if they've not heard about this uh, book already, a, a great heads up because I'm sure once the HBO <laughs> series comes out, it will be on everybody's lips. But it's a, a brilliant story. Um, and it's really, really compelling. And it's exactly the kind of uh, inclusive YA story that I think you know could literally save kids' lives. So I was really, really uh, delighted to read it. And finally, I wanted to talk about The Spirit Engineer, by A.J. West which is fascinating. Uh, it is fiction but it is based on the true story of William Jackson Crawford uh, who was an incredibly popular spiritualist uh, in the Victorian area and you know, rubbed shoulders with Harry Houdini and the like um, but sort of died uh, in infamy and committed suicide. Um, and this analyzes his sort of rise to fame and then his sort of falling star in a really really fascinating way and i wasn't familiar with um william jackson crawford at all he actually was born in new zealand i believe and then came back to the uk so he had family ties to scotland and northern ireland and sort of moved around the world at a time when obviously doing so was incredibly dangerous um but There's all sorts of fascinating stuff there because he was a scientist who got sort of pulled in to the Victorian obsession with spiritualism. And he became um, connected to the slightly notorious um, Kathleen Gola. And Gola was uh, a famous medium who was part of the Gola circle. And again, partly because of his work, uh, William Jackson Crawford sort of raised her up and they, they literally went on sort of tours together and did events, seances. And he was attempting to scientifically prove uh, that she was a, you know, de facto real deal medium. Um, and then of course it emerged, well, all, all sorts of things emerge um, as the novel progresses, but it, it's a really, really sort of gorgeously gothic book. Um, so I think people would enjoy that so
3: it's well researched historical fiction based on his life is it
1: yes um it's very immaculately researched obviously a lot of it is speculative uh, the sort of personal relationships the motivations and and the, the sort of basically the the subtext between the known events of william jackson crawford's life but i think it's been immaculately researched and is um just a, a really really good read
0: um i love these books that you've brought and I, and Keep this theme up forever. I always love hearing about all fantastic books that you're talking about, especially uh, a dress book. Um, I know that you you mentioned the that it, if it was a dress book that was in a similar style to it's a Sin, which I know which I also recommend everyone should watch um, I, I haven't i uh remember growing up with those russell t stories, uh, uh, early series like Queerest Folk and um, hearing about the gay scene uh, in Manchester, which is you know an incredible series. Um, it's a good question, actually, to ask here about, because I, I know that you really are so passionate about um, LGBT stories and getting them at, getting them out there. Um, are there? So, are you seeing a lot of, fanta- of these stories kind of growing and on the horizon a lot more? Because we've seen uh, the growth of so many fantastic books and points of view that have emerged in the last couple of you know years, especially you know, here at Booktopia, um, including and. Uh, uh, we had a, a recent winner for one of our awards being a, a fantastic story about two uh, gay Indigenous boys called The Boy From The Mish, which I highly recommend you read. Um, are you are you seeing a, a huge push towards stories like that increasingly?
1: I think that it is beginning to increase over time. Interestingly, I think here in the UK... Um, we might be lagging slightly behind. Um, I, I think that, that there are some fantastic authors, I mean, I, I mentioned um, before on the podcast, uh, The Outrage by um, William Hussey, and you know, th- there are some other fantastic um, British and uh, UK based LGBTQ plus authors, there's more and more of that published. I think finally, publishers might be acknowledging that this is, you know, uh, not just a genre in itself or a sort of niche subset, but actually something that has universal appeal and can be incredibly um, transformative and important and moving to everybody. And we might be moving beyond, dare I say it, fingers crossed, being a trend. Because for, for several years, particularly when I was publisher aside uh, prior to joining Racket and Kobo, people would talk about uh, diverse books in a sort of tick box exercise way, where, like, you know, there'd be a very, very small subset of a list, or if you were lucky, maybe an entire list. Well, these get to be our diverse books. Um, And I think that maybe we're moving beyond that now uh, into people finally giving these um, stories and their authors the credit they deserve. But I do see that, um, interestingly, there's a lot more speed and a lot more um, enthusiasm, I think, in terms of embracing that opportunity coming out of North America. Uh, and even Australia, like, I, I think that there there are still some some very, very talented authors here in the UK. But I have the perception that a lot of the um, publishing that's coming out is actually being done by independents and smaller publishers a, as a generalisation. Um, it, it's still the case, I think, where in the, the UK, um, there isn't as much representation as I would like to see personally.
3: But I think you're right, Nick, it's, um, it's gone beyond, you know, a, society, a society's moved forward. It's no longer seen as a, a societal taboo subject for literature that people go, oh, a gay story or a LGBTQ story, you know, it, it's become the the normal experience for so many people in the U.S., UK, and Australia. That's just a story. They're just stories about life and getting confidence and and family and community and the fact that a character, main character, happens to be LGBT, LGBTQ plus is kind of a, irrelevant. Um, you can read in the su- as a subgenre, but uh, mainstream, you know, people who just like mainstream fiction and good stories are now reading. These books, whereas uh, half a generation ago, they're like, "Oh no, that's not for me. That's that's for the gay community." It's no longer the case. They're for everyone. They're just stories about people in life, and isn't that a great? So we, we've changed like that. Yeah,
1: I, I think it's incredibly um, helpful and and positive. I, I, the only thing I say is that um, you know I, I just hope that that, that trend. Um, the industry continues to embrace and support these books and their brilliant authors and that we we see that um, being furthered. I think, you know, here in the UK, we've got some really sort of scary political stuff that's still rumbling on. So whereas other countries have properly banned conversion therapy. uh, I think the last time I spoke to you all uh, this was being talked about, our government decided to run a consultation for all voices to talk about conversion therapy and how it might or might not be banned. Um, And they decided because they they didn't feel that the initial window is big enough to extend that. So um, we're still in a consultation period where members of the public, including those who don't like LGBTQ plus people, can comment on whether or not we should be protected from coercive, abusive, so-called conversion therapy and, and what that protection might or might not look like and what any exceptions to that might look like, which basically is a way... Of allowing people who don't like us, who are prejudiced against us, to talk about how we shouldn't be protected, which is uh, quite um, alarming, really.
3: Uh, slightly changing the subject, but not um, this. In the same way, I think we've seen a big growth and change in Australian literature in recent years of stories about Indigenous Australians, the Aboriginal community, and and uh, you know when I was reading a few decades ago, you know, you could count on your fingers the stories that were uh, based on, you know, Indigenous stories. And now there's so many wonderful Australian Indigenous, indigenous authors and, and stories about the Indigenous community. So it's, I think it's, it's a lot of uh, uh, groups in the community now being written about in a mainstream way, um, which is very healthy.
0: Yeah, and that I think it, yeah, it's, it's interesting as well that uh, what has traditionally been seen as, you know, minority stories are, are being brought forward, and I think it's important and invaluable that that continues to happen, um, and fingers crossed it does uh, going forward, but I will say that the, the best, I think the best stories that we've kind of seen over the last couple of years have ones that have, have talked about the, these subjects and challenged these subjects, so hopefully onwards and upwards for this, I say, onwards and upwards. Um, Thank you so much, Nick. I love hearing your recommendations every single time you come on the show, and uh, this is no exception. Thank you so much. Um, Before we head on to Scott for our final recommendations, we are, in fact, sponsored. We have a sponsored book for this week. And our sponsored book is Bo Miles' The Backyard Adventure Audiobook. So after years of adventuring around the globe, running, kayaking, hitchhiking, exploring, Bo Miles came back to his country block uh, in country Victoria. Staying put for the first time in years, Bo developed this new kind of lifestyle as the backyard adventurer. Whether it be walking 90 kilometers foot to work with no provisions, building a canoe paddle out of scavenge, scavenged, scavenged scrap, or running a disused railway line through properties, blackberry thickets, and past police officers, Bo has been finding ways to satisfy his adventurous spirit close to home. This book is about conscious experimentation with adventure making meaning and inspiration out of tins of beans, rubbish and elbow grease. Bo's Backyard exploits are funny, authentic, insightful and have been copied all over the world. The audiobook is out now and you'll be able to check out a sneaky snippet of it right here.
4: In the final furlong to home, mashed up in a cross-section of what I saw were ruminations on my so-called adventurous life, which is really an ongoing debate about my sense of perception. Back on the deck at home, half-nude as I acclimatised from the heat and movement of running for three hours, I slowly ate chickpeas from the tin, which is a rare speed of eating for me. I'm thinking with scepticism about being an adventurer, engaging in daring and risky activities in unfamiliar places, often with only a hint of the expertise required to be there. Much like my wariness of real estate agents, I've seemed to gloss over the truth with half-truths pitching stories as audacious, unable to see that so many other people do things tougher, riskier, more challenging, perhaps even more rewarding in far less publicised ways. There is truth to the idea that I like seeing what lurks in hard-to-reach places, and I might be plucky and enterprising, which fits the bill of adventure, but brave and heroic should never be keywords of my films, in my bio or anything else associated to me. More than that, these bold terms of adventure should be questioned. I say this because at various stages I've unwittingly bought into that mindset and looked at maps and charts as if I were a conqueror out to beat the world. Day three without showering, in need of a haircut and shave, about to leave the house to buy milk, I was in fact on the comfortable side of an identity crisis, having come to terms with the fact that I was not the man I thought I was. Such a breakthrough in thinking is to acknowledge that I have a uniqueness born of influences, which seems a little more scripted than innate, including summer camps and universities, stinking male-only share houses, roadside diners, expeditions, films, women, family. I am flawed, and oscillate between being mildly and intensely curious about our world. And that makes me and my newish, ongoing, close-to-home trips interesting rather than loading up with expensive gadgets and upskilling to the point of perfection. I'm setting off in the full knowledge that I'm weighed down with metaphorical baggage, so my aim now is to take as little real equipment as possible. Where I go and where I might end up are a little shady, and research from the bottomless pit of Google is often lacking. Before I begin, let me be clear, as my great flaw is impatience. This is not a guidebook for the good life. Nor will I preach about the importance of challenge and epiphanies, hardship and breakthroughs. Backout Adventuring is about concocting meaningful events and experiments that challenge me, that redefine my childhood sense of the hero's journey, that force me to look intimately in everyday places and question how I live among others. Ultimately, it's about being pissed off enough to take care of myself, others and non-human life and happy enough not to let myself, others, and non-human things bother me all the time. Balance between firing myself up and wetting myself down is the great act of perception I'm taking on. Quite simply, this book is a set of stories told by a redheaded bloke who has redefined his sense of adventure.
0: That was Beau Miles audiobook version of The Backyard Adventurer. And it is our sponsored book of the week. Interesting to note, it also came in number three overall in the Booktopia 2021 Fab Award, uh, which was unveiled yesterday, which is an incredible achievement. So be sure to check that book out. All right, we move on to our final guest of the show. And that is none other than Scott Whitmock. Hello, Scott, please tell me what you've been enjoying. Over well, I
3: will, days. but just for 30 seconds before I do, I just want to endorse the book of the week because I've read it. <laughs> and it's so entertaining. And so whether you want to listen to the new audiobook or read the book, if you don't know Bo Miles, go to his channel to go put in Bowmiles on YouTube. His videos are hysterically funny of all his adventures, which are now put into the book in book form, but very entertaining. So uh, I really recommend that. But that's not one of my uh, review ones. That's just me endorsing our sponsored book uh, of the week. (laughs) Um, As usual, I I tend to uh, have gotten to the habit of doing one fiction and one non-fiction, And so I'm continuing in that theme like Nick is continuing in his theme. Um, And my uh, fiction one I'll start with perhaps because Ben, uh, as I said earlier, um, spoke about a similar one. It's a debut crime fiction uh, and it's called um, The Cane and it's by Mary uh, Rose Cuskelly, and it also came out this week. She's not uh, a debut author, she's written a number of non-fiction, but this is her first novel. And uh, like Ben's book, it's set in rural Australia and very evocatively written a novel of landscape and place uh, in the same way as the dry or scrublands, um, any who like that that genre will love this too. It's set in far north Queensland, in in the sugarcane area, in a fictional town called Quayla, uh, and it's set in the 1970s. and uh, Janet McClymont is a 16-year-old girl who's in the local community and she sets off from home to walk the 20 minutes or so to the neighbours to do some babysitting through the cane fields and she never arrives at the babysitting. What's happened to her? She's disappeared. So the mystery is what happened to Janet? They look for her body through the cane field. Her mother wants them to stop the annual burning of the cane in case her body's there in the middle of the cane field. She doesn't want it to be, you know, burnt. So they're searching there. But maybe she wasn't killed. Maybe she was kidnapped. Or maybe she just ran off to Brisbane to seek another life and was a runaway teenager. What is it? Um, I won't spoil it by telling you, but the mystery is what happened to Janet. And while the police, are looking into it and again ben like yours it's a female police policeman a policewoman uh who um the country town's not used to who comes in to investigate and there's all sorts of subplots there's a a suspect teacher in the high school who's handing out copies of the little red school book which was was distributed in the 70s that outraged particularly conservative uh, and rural areas at the time because it encouraged kids to look into drugs and sex and and uh, how they felt about themselves. It's nothing now, but in the 70s that was really outrageous. And he's handing out copies to his students, so everyone thinks he's a bit sus. And there was a, a murder or a death a um, decade before, um, and is, is it related perhaps to Janet's disappearance? Uh, it may or may not be. There's lots of mysteries and subplots, uh, but you get the whole politics and society of a small town where everybody knows everybody else's business. It's very Australian, as I said, evocative of place, wonderful characters, and all the way through you think, oh, I think I know what happened, and of course you don't. You keep changing your mind and you, you never guess until you find out at the denouement, which is when they're burning the, the finally burning the cane fields as they need to and um, The proverbial hits the fan with a great, uh, you know, exciting denouement of the book, which is very exciting. Um, So I really recommend if you like, just like Ben's book, if you like uh, Australian crime, uh, good mystery, rural fiction, Australian fiction, Mary Rose uh, Casculley's The Cane. So that's the first. Um, The second one is... uh, a biography uh, called The Duchess Who Dared, The Life of Margaret, Duchess of Argyle. Uh, You might know of her, Nick, I don't know. Uh, She's one of your lot over there. Um, This book came out actually in the 90s, but it's been uh, republished in a new edition uh, because of the BBC. Production, television production called A Very British Scandal, which just came out at the end of the year. I don't think that's shown in Australia yet. It'll be on Amazon Prime sometime this year. But that is a story that's based on the life of Margaret Duchess of Argyll. So who the hell was she? She was a society. Uh, figure and a model she was very beautiful through the 1930s and 40s she was she was born in uh, 1912 uh, she came from Scotland her father was a very wealthy man and she was really a, a nymphomaniac socialite she's you know it's very gossipy it's a great story of her life but it's a sad story too she married uh, initially uh, when she was very young uh, and she had uh, two kids she married a very wealthy um, businessman and uh, got divorced after some time. But the main story is the story of her second marriage, the controversy in her life is when she married Ian Campbell, who was the 11th Duke of Argyle. And he was not he didn't have a very good reputation he was addicted to prescription drugs he was alcoholic he was a gambler he'd been married twice before and his two previous wives had described him as violent and, and sadistic and emotionally cruel so perhaps this marriage was doomed to failure from the beginning and it certainly didn't last very long uh, she was accused by her husband of um, cheating on him and uh, the trial ended up being one of the longest and most expensive trials in in Scottish in the Scottish courts um, in Edinburgh, when uh, they had the divorce trial. And his evidence was he'd had a locksmith break into a cupboard in her home and found uh, Polaroid pictures and diaries where she wrote about various men she'd had. Um, quote-unquote adventures with, uh, and the list was more than 80 men. Uh, so he accused her uh, of, um, what's what's the word? Adultery. Yes. That's the word I'm looking for. I'm so innocent, I don't know these words. Uh, <laughs> he he uh, accuses her of adultery with over 80 men. Um, but the Polaroids were the most shocking because uh, they showed her Uh, wearing absolutely nothing but her three-strand pearl necklace that she was known to wear. And one of them, she's on her knees, on the floor, and it became a a famous gossip about photo the headless man, because you don't know who it was, but uh, she was kneeling in front of him performing a certain act, uh, and there was a Polaroid photo of that. And there was suspicion that it might have been Douglas Fairbanks Jr. or it might have been the son-in-law of Winston Churchill, and it's never been revealed to this day nobody knows who it was but uh, that was the huge controversy and gossip at the time and of course um the duke of argyle won the the case uh it was she was they were divorced and she was everybody turned their backs on her, all her friends, all of society, because she was the um, the fallen woman who, you know, it's okay if a guy has lots of mistresses, but if a woman sleeps with lots of men, that's just a no-no, certainly in the in the 50s and, and 60s. And she lost all her money. She ended up having to move from her mansion to a um, hotel suite just with one maid, the poor thing. But then after some time, she was uh, thrown out of the hotel for non-payment of the bill and and uh, had to, um, her family ended up putting her in a in a retirement and nursing home, where she died um, when she was 80 years old, absolutely penniless. Um, but uh, she was really, because of the scandal, she was really pilloried in society and in the press. And you know, it would have been an internet scandal had there been internet at the time, but of course there wasn't. And her life is just fascinating. Uh, my favourite quote of hers, um, well, actually not quote of hers, quote about her, is uh, she wrote a memoir that I think she was ghostwritten and was very badly reviewed at the time she wrote it, and one reviewer said, her father may have been able to give her some fine earrings but nothing to put between them. So she wasn't known for her um, intellect or intelligence, but she was known for her uh, her beauty and her savage. scandalous activities. I know it's quite savage. So if you like a bit of goss, it was really good. Uh, the judge said in his judgment, she was completely promiscuous woman and her attitude to marriage was wholly immoral. So, uh, nothing like a bit of scandal and I didn't know much about her, so it's a very interesting read. Uh, The author Charles Castle actually passed away a few years ago himself, as I said it was originally published in the 90s, but he based his book on hours of interviews he did with her in retirement. Uh, He went and interviewed her about her life and then after she died he wrote this biography. So if you see a very British scandal on television. whether you do or you don't, it's a really interesting life if you like a societal history or the English aristocracy. The Duchess Who Dared: The Life of Margaret Duchess of Argyll. There you go. Are
0: you familiar with this story, Nick?
1: Very uh, British scandal I, I, indeed. I am indeed. She she's um, as Scott alluded to, you know, notorious in British high society. Uh, so you know, even before the. Um, the TV series uh, aired, I was aware of her, just partly because of that uh, sort of very dated patriarchal response to adultery. I think, you know, there's some really fascinating um, segments of her life that don't get talked about. She she had, I believe, um, some very, very um, tempestuous early relationships before she was married, and she was actually married twice. So the, the, the Duke is the, the sort of like, the big headline one, because that's the the marriage where it all went wrong for her and it all sort of imploded around her. But um, I think that, you know, she was sort of subjected to some really reprehensible people and uh, raised up on a plinth on one hand for her incredible beauty, but then punished for enjoying her own sexual appetite and, and daring to have one at a time where, you know, such uh, thoughts were, far beyond uh, acceptable. And, you know, as Scott mentioned again, like it it was fine for um, husbands to to have multiple mistresses or dalliances, as they'd be called. Uh, And, you know, I think there's been a lot of portrayals and things like the crown of uh, the fact that perhaps even the royal family might not have been as chaste and uh, virtuous as their wedding vows would have you believe? Um, but you know, certainly for a high society flyer like her, she she um, flew too close to the sun, and then uh, the the press and high society gloried in her downfall. Yes. And then I think her her memoir um, was savage for a range of reasons, but the main thing was people didn't like how many names she dropped and probably didn't like how many people were being implicated, um, you know, I'm sure it was heavily ghostwritten, and I, I haven't read it, um, but I just know that it was called Forget Not, and I yes. think it basically was almost like a, a little black book of various, you know, you said that um, there's that one very uh, infamous Polaroid where that the, the
3: headless man. <clears throat>
1: The headless man, uh, the gentleman, never identified himself for various reasons. Um, but you know, I think that the main issue people had with her autobiography was she didn't shy away from, from giving quite a few telling details there that would allow people to put, you know, join the dots as but to she, which she husbands were unfaithful to their wives.
3: The two, no, not, two not other that little particular. bits of trivia about her is her first scandal was she actually had an abortion because she got pregnant at the age of 15 to an 18-year-old David Niven the actor and she actually stayed friendly with him to, uh, to the end of his life um, and her parents were outraged and sent her off to have an abortion because uh, she had this affair with him when she was 15 and got pregnant and her daughter-in-law or her son's ex-wife is the rather odious Lady Colin Campbell who you sometimes uh, see on TV talking about British society and the royals who I think is an odious character but Lady Colin Campbell who's written a few books and is on TV often married for a brief time, uh, her son. So there you go. Scandal in multiple generations of that family. Oh,
0: blimey. This sounds like a, a very juicy book Scott, has yeah. got lots of goss. And,
3: and if you're interested in her life, I might just mention in passing, there was another very good biography of her that came out a few years ago called The Grit in the Pearl, The Scandalous Life of Margaret Duchess of Argyll by Lindsay Spence, which is a different one to the one I've just read, but it's also a very, very good one with a slightly different perspective. So two books on her, The Grit in the Pearl and The Duchess Who Dead.
0: I'll just also quickly end. I think I uh, you're going to touch on this as well, Ben. Uh, the, the cane that you mentioned first, First, your first book, Ben. You've had the chance to to check this book out as well, haven't you?
2: No, oh, I'm i just about to read it. <laughs> I'm I've just uh, I've just had a look at the first chapter, and uh, I've I've heard good things about this book from so many people. Uh, um, I'm not surprised that you're rapping and Scott. It's, it's, it's it sounds great. I, I read the first chapter, and it it presents as an image of a of a of a mother who's going about town, buying up all of the butane lighters and all of the matches and just standing and striking them till they're black and they're gone uh, because she doesn't want the farmers in this community to burn the cane and destroy the remains of her daughter.
3: Yes. Uh, For those who might be, if anyone's interested to read my review of it, it's actually on the Booktopia blog. You can see my review of that book.
0: I'll be sure to chuck a link for, uh, to it down in the description box of uh, of this podcast. Um, so you can check it out for yourself if you're if you are listening. Um, but um, for, thank you so much, Scott. Amazing recommendations as always. I love your fiction. I love your historical examinations. I love your non-fiction. Love it all. Um, unfortunately, we have come to the end uh, of this podcast uh, for this week. Um, thank you, Scott, and thank you all for your fantastic recommendations. Uh, it's been a blast hearing from all of you. You can find links to all of the books mentioned in this podcast uh, in the description, um, or also you can go to a, a beautiful website called booktopia.com.au it's a damn good website lots of books hell of a lot of books there so please go check it out buy books there um literally helps keep this podcast running so uh Be sure to check that out. Additionally, you can also check out many of the partnerships and programs that we're doing with Ruckert and Kobo, so including Falling in Love this February with a huge range of romance audiobooks for under $10 for a limited time. You can go check that out now. I'll include links to that sale in the description, but you can also check out a whole bunch of exclusive bundles on Kobo e-readers, including the Kobo Nia, Libra, Kobo Clara and more, again, which you can also get from Booktopia. Thank you especially to Nick for for joining us from the other side of the world. It's been a pleasure having you as always.
1: Thanks so much for having me. It's been brilliant, guys. Always a pleasure.
0: So you can, you can join us next week uh, for a series uh, as we begin, as mentioned uh, across this podcast, uh, we will begin a special mini-series of podcasts, Date With A Debut, where our one and only Ben Hunter will sit down with debut authors from across Australia's literary landscape. We'll be kicking off uh, this mini-series by chatting with Danuka McKenzie, author of Torrent, which has been discussed today, as well as Mary Rose Koskelly, the author of The Cane, which uh, also was mentioned in today's podcast. As always, thanks so much for listening and never stop reading.